Good evening, everyone. Thank you for coming out to session number three of Love Thy Body. And uh, we want to go ahead and get started here. Uh, again, we, we've got a lot to cover, and we want to take advantage of every minute. Um, so week one, we had an introduction and just a, an overview of, of what worldview is uh, and the importance of it. Last week, we talked about worldview and how, how it applies to the issues of life and death. And this week, we're going to be talking about uh, worldview as it relates to the body and sexuality. Uh, and, and specifically, what Piercy talks about in the book is sex in the age of the hookup culture. And if you look at culture, if you look at entertainment, if you look at media, you know uh, that there is a big difference between what uh, is portrayed there as good versus what... Um, the Bible teaches as, as biblical sexuality. And so we're going to talk about how um, that separation, right, <clears throat> that, that has occurred where uh, the body is separated from the person, how that uh, is unfolded here in, in this particular topic. So uh, once again, as, as the last couple of weeks have gone, we're going to have a time of teaching and then we'll break up into the different small groups uh, for some discussion. And, and that time has been really fruitful to kind of talk through um, and, and unpack and think out loud and go deeper. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to Pastor Carol. Thanks. Glad to see you here tonight. Each one of you, we're specifically glad to see the youth in with us. This is a very pertinent topic for all of us. I have an unusual title, which is actually the title of chapter 4 in Love Thy Body book by Nancy Piercy. She called it, so I'm calling this teaching tonight, you'll see it at the top of your notes, Schizoisex. And so I looked up the word schizoid. And it means a personality disorder marked by disassociation, passivity, withdrawal, one who's unable to form warm relationships. That does describe some of the mentality of many folks today. Kevin mentioned about worldview. Worldview is revealed by our attitude towards sex whether a single or married person. Now, many of us don't give or haven't given perhaps as much thought as we should into this matter of sex. Now, you may say, well, that's directly opposite from the society today. Well, yes, if you're including everything that the media puts out as being truth or biblical or orientated towards Bible. Well, what we're going to talk about tonight is from a little bit different perspective. We're going to talk about a little bit of the things as to how the world presents it, but then we're going to talk about also from a biblical standpoint. A few weeks ago, we talked about how that thinking philosophy has a two-story approach. You may remember that on Sunday morning and then the last two Wednesday nights. The first floor is that which is known as scientific, proven by what 
science has said. Science has proven the law of gravity. So that is, that is a fact, okay? That's the way it's presented. But then they say that everything else, when it comes to values or relationships or feelings or emotions, then that's on the second story. Something that isn't proven by fact, yet it could be different for different people. Have you ever heard anybody say something like this? Well, this particular thing may be your truth, but it's not my truth. The reason they divide it that way is because bottom floor, provable, scientific, top floor, emotional, uh, thoughts, not proven, and therefore it may or it may not be true. Now, if that idea had only stopped there and did not affect everything else in life, it perhaps wouldn't be too bad. But that same idea and same principle has gone through lots and lots of people's lives and their thinking, emotions, beliefs. Today it's been pretty well proven that many youth believe that they can have a hookup physical relationship without emotional attachments. They're finding that this seldom happens, if ever. Now that's what Hollywood presents. That's what TV programs present. And that's what colleges teach in many places. And that's what high schools teach in many places. That it's okay If it's consenting, it's okay. There's no residual effects from it. As long as you don't get pregnant, you don't get an STD, then it's okay. No harm, no foul. But what has been proven over and over again, particularly recently, is there is some harm to it. And we're going to discover some of that tonight. George Bernard Shaw highlighted this problem in his 1932 play called Too True to Be Good. Even using the image of an upper and lower story, a character in the play says, when men and women pick one another up just for a bit of fun, they find they've picked up more than they bargained for. Because men and women have a top story as well as a ground floor, you cannot have one without the other. They're always trying to, but it does not work. That's interesting. 1932, when the play came out, and he already understood about the top floor and the bottom floor. Peter Singer of Princeton says, listen to this, sex raises no unique moral issues at all. Decisions about sex may involve considerations of honesty, concern for others, prudence, and so on, but there's nothing special about sex in this respect For the same could be said of a decision about driving a car. In other words, hey, it's just a physical action. Everybody understands that. It's just physical. There's nothing beyond the physical. It's like driving a car. Reminds me of the passage in Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 20 that says, this verse is portraying someone who has just had sex. She eats and wipes her mouth and says... I have done nothing wrong. That tells me that person 
does not understand all that's involved. That tells me that person just has a mentality that it's just physical only. I want to tell you about a tragedy. About 25 or to 30 years ago, I don't remember the exact year, we had a Sunday school teacher here, and he was a good Sunday school teacher. He taught adult classes. Very good. He knew the word. And uh, he was married, had children. Um, One day his wife came to see me and said, I believe my husband is having an affair. And uh, so I I told her, I said, have him to call me. And he called me. I said, come in, I want to talk to you. He came in and I said, okay, your wife told me that you were having an affair. Is that true? And he said, well, no. I said, are you sure? He said, if you're asking have I had sex with somebody besides my wife, yes, I have. If you're asking me, am I having an affair? No, I'm not. It's just physical. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I have heard you teach rather eloquently scriptural principles that are totally contrary to what you just now told me. And he said, I don't know why you and her are also bent out of shape. It's just sex. That's all it is. So he didn't understand that there's more to it than the physical. Right? He didn't understand that. Or he was so deceived that he wouldn't allow himself to believe it because he would be rebuked by his own understanding. Piercy says that those who say hedonism gives sex too much importance when in reality it gives sex too little importance because it only considers the physical without the mental, emotional, or spiritual attachments. William Beardsley, a psychiatry professor at Harvard, says young people are trying to persuade themselves that true sexual intimacy is unconnected from personal intimacy. But they're fooling themselves. Humans can't help functioning as a body-person unit, which is what the biblical worldview says we are. In other words, you are a tripartite being. You are a spirit that has a soul but lives in a body. And as such, that makes up the person. And when you isolate one part of that person without considering the input from the other two parts, you become a fractured individual and you are headed down the wrong road. Julie Slattery and Dana uh, Gresh said in Pulling Back the Shades, The truth is that you were created for something more. Your sexuality was never meant to be separate from your deepest spiritual, relational longings, but to be an expression of them. In other words, you are a whole, integrated person. You are a spirit, or you're born again. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit, John 3. You are a spirit that has a soul that lives in a body. 
And you can determine what you do with those three parts integrated together as one person. If you separate one part from the other two, you don't have a complete person. You are a tripartite being. Now let's look at the science of sex. This is all in your notes there. There's a chemical called oxytocin. Oxytocin is released when a mother nurses her child, and it stimulates an instinct for caring and nurturing. It's also called the attachment hormone. Some people call it the love hormone. Women have an abundance of it. Men have just a little bit of it. It's also released during sexual intercourse. One therapist said that when we have sex, we create an involuntary chemical commitment. In other words, there's an attachment to that person you're having sex with. Whether you intended it or not, it exists. Rightfully so. Because the plan and purpose of God is one man, one woman for life. That's the plan and purpose of God. It isn't let's pick up one person this week or today and pick up somebody else tomorrow or next week. That was never, nor is it now, the plan of God. And so God has created your body, your mind, your will, your emotions to facilitate His plan, not our plan if it's contrary to His plan. So you have oxytocin. It also released, as I said, during sexual intercourse, one therapist said that when we have sex, we create an involuntary chemical commitment. The upshot of this is even if you think you're having a no-strings-attached hookup, you are in reality creating a chemical bond, whether you mean to or not. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.18, whoever sins sexually sins against his own body. I have, over these 53 plus years, had scores on top of scores of counseling appointments with either men or women that have had affairs of one type or the other and wondered why they had difficulty breaking up. You know why? Physically, I just read the answer. Oxytocin was released. Now, the next paragraph in your notes there talks about from the male perspective. The main neurochemical responsible for the male response in intimate sexual contact is called vasopressin. It is structurally similar to oxytocin, has a similar emotional effect. It is believed to stimulate bonding with a woman and with offspring. Vasopressin has been dubbed the monogamy molecule. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.16, Do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. When we were pastoring in Tennessee, what I'm about to tell you happened, and it happened shortly after we came to Louisville in 1981. A lady came in my office one day. She was not a member of our church, but she had visited there a few times. And uh, 
But for this particular situation, she did not want to talk to her pastor about it. So she asked if she could talk to me about it. She did. She came in. And she told me a story about when she graduated from high school, she had a boyfriend for about three years of high school. She graduated. He graduated together. He went to one college. She went to another. That was the end of their relationship. It had been about 15 to 20 years since then, since they had seen each other. One day, she's living in the same town that, where she lived when she went to high school. And one day, she gets a call, phone call from this guy, says, I'm a salesman with a, such a company, and I'm passing through, and I would like to uh, meet you for coffee. She says, no, I don't think I want to do that. I'm married. I have a family. I don't think I'd be interested in doing that. And so she, he continuously talked to her and tried to convince her. And finally, she thought, okay, to get him off my back, I'll meet him for coffee at this particular restaurant. So they did. A couple hours later, they ended up in a motel room. And she said that wasn't the end of it. About two or three months later, she gets a call from me. He says, I'm passing through on my way to Memphis, Tennessee. Can we meet for coffee? She said, no, 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 I'm a Christian, and I know what we did last time was wrong and sinful. No, I don't want to do that. He continues to talk to her. They end up having coffee. They ended up in a motel room. She was in my office, and she said, what am I going to do? And I, I didn't talk to her about these chemicals, oxytocin or vasopressin, but I did talk to her about spiritual attachments where you are bound to somebody when you're a partner in sin, you, there's a connection made with that particular sin, with that particular person. So I prayed with her. We broke that connection. And I said, let me tell you what you say to him if he ever calls you again. She said, I said, if he ever calls you again, you tell him, do not stay on the phone longer than 30 seconds. You tell him where to go and how soon to get there that you're having absolutely nothing to do with him, you're not going to converse with him, and if he ever so much as calls you again, you will call the police and report him and press charges against him for harassment. And I said, and, and then if he does do that, you call me immediately. Weeks went by, one day I got a call from her. I said, did he call you? She said, yes, it did. I said, what did you say? I said to him exactly what you said. I said, what did he do? She said, he hung up. I said, good. That same was, thing was repeated here in Louisville shortly after we became pastors at New Life in 81. What am I saying? I'm saying there's an attachment, an unintended attachment because of hormones, yes, because of desire, of course, there's something there that draws people together once they've stepped outside the realm where they're supposed to operate. Several studies have shown if people get to know one another as persons, even a little, they actually experience greater sexual pleasure. These studies show that the people who are happiest sexually, listen to this, are married, middle-aged Christians. I thought that was quite interesting the first time I read that, which I, I read it several years ago, but I thought, well, that, that is really good. 
That's really good. Now let me give you some guys that are influencing what's being taught in schools. Sigmund Freud, you've heard of him. He once wrote that pleasure is the main purpose of our entire mental apparatus and considered a person as a machine with satisfaction as its mission. Sigmund Freud. He wrote some books. He had some influence. And that mentality is still going around in the educational system. Margaret Singer. You may know her and remember her as the founder of Planned Parenthood. She described the great drama of history as a struggle to free our bodies and minds from the constraints of morality. She talked about the cruel morality of self-denial and sin. In her view, sexual liberation was the only method by which a person could find inner peace, security, and beauty. It was also the means to advance the next level of evolution, to remodel the race and create a real civilization. I personally would not want to read much of what she has to say. I think she has nothing to say to us that would be beneficial. Yet, many in educational realms think that was wonderful. Alfred Kinsey, University of Indiana, emphasized repeatedly that sex is a normal biologic function acceptable in whatever form it is manifested. It doesn't matter what it is. Male to male, female to male, male to animal. Doesn't matter. Whatever. He believed that any behavior that could be found among animals, he considered normative for humans as well. He considered sexual liberation would be the means for saving humans from the oppression of religion and morality. See, the mentality is this. If you have a standard of what you consider to be right or wrong, you're in slavery. And the only way to overcome that is to break out of that mold, out of those rules and regulations, and just do whatever you feel like. Anybody here grow up doing the hippie days of the 60s and 70s? Hey, if it feels good, do it. I bet some of you guys remember that. If it feels good, do it. There's nothing wrong with it. Hey, if it's okay, if you feel like it's okay, it's okay, regardless of what anybody else thinks. He was one of the fellows that presented that. William Rich, who the one back in the 60s coined the phrase sexual revolution, said, the core of happiness in life is sexual happiness. He denounced Christianity. Christian morality as a murderous philosophy that creates guilt and neurosis. He said, orgasm is man's only salvation leading to the kingdom of heaven on earth. I mean, for we that know a little bit of scripture, we, we see the fallacy in such a belief system. But remember, your worldview affects everything. And if you are trained or raised or your experiences, whether in home or in the education realm, gives you a worldview that does not consider what Scripture says, 
then you can easily see how that person could believe almost anything. So what does that have to do with me and my family? If you have your notes on page 2, I'm going to read this whole paragraph and you can follow along. They constitute the prevailing sexual orthodoxy. It informs the mindset of judges when they rule on sexual issues. It shapes the arguments of legislators when they formulate new laws. It guides the way reporters frame the news. It's the attitude portrayed in TV sitcoms, supermarket tabloids, and magazine articles. It is reflected in the lyrics of popular songs. It permeates virtually the entire entertainment industry. It shapes the outlook of your children's teachers and the writers of your children's sex education textbooks. History bears out what Paul says in Romans 1, that everyone bases his or her life on some definition of ultimate reality. Those who reject the transcendent God of the Bible put something else in his place. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for something in creation. That's a quote from Romans 1.23. In short, a person's morality is always derivative. It stems from his or her worldview. So you think, well, so what? Freud, Sanger, Kinsey, Rich, and a bunch of other people. So what? That, that's not affecting me. It's affecting you, whether you realize it or not. And if you have children and young people, it's affecting them, whether you realize it or not. And if you don't start counteracting that by teaching them things from the Scripture, one day the seed sown will bring forth a harvest. Now, to, sh to change our focus a little bit and shift in another direction. Sexual intercourse is the most intimate form of physical union is meant to express the ultimate form of personal union in marriage. It belongs only in a relationship where you commit to another person legally, economically, socially, and spiritually. It's a commitment. It's a tie. We should not be tied to or attached to things that God says we should not be. But when God made Adam and Eve, Genesis 2, he brought them and said a man should leave his father and mother and should cleave, be connected, be related to, be tied to, be joined to, be in union with his wife. And that means all three realms, not just one. C.S. Lewis, Tim would be proud of me giving a C.S. Lewis quote. He said this, those who have sex outside of marriage are trying to isolate one kind of union from all the other kinds of union which were intended to go along with it and make up the total union. Sex outside of marriage, just a physical activity, is a union of one arena, but there's two others that equally should be involved. Timothy Keller says, Sex is God's appointed way for two people to say reciprocally to one another, I belong completely, permanently, and exclusively to you. That's a good quote. When I do premarital counseling, and I never do a marriage ceremony without it, when I do that, I, I talk to the couple about three, all three areas. 
spirit, soul, and body. And I talk to them from the perspective they need to be joined together on all three of those to have a proper marriage. If they're only on one without the other, you're still going to have a fractured marriage relationship. And they need to do it in order. For example, they need to be joined together spiritually first. What do I mean by that? They need to have prayed and determined that this is the right person for me. All right? This is the right person. So, well, maybe this is just the right type of person. No, you need to know this is the right person or this is the wrong person. And if this is the wrong person, walk away. Because if you try to be joined to the wrong person, I can guarantee you sparks unnecessarily are going to fly. All right? So I teach them, pray. Make sure you've, you've got the will of God. This is the right person before you move on to the soul realm. What do I mean there? Man, thinking, thinking you, you've talked about. You are in, in the ballpark as far as beliefs and, and, and goals and purposes for your life. Be joined together in the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions. That's the second. And then lastly is the physical realm after marriage. And you get somebody joined on those three realms in the proper order. You have the potential to have a strong relationship. If you do those three out of order you have the potential, a strong potentially, of inviting problems down the line. I can't tell you the number of people that I have talked to that have told me, because they came in for counseling, that their spouse doesn't trust them, doesn't believe them when they tell them things. And I say, well, what, what do you think that is? And they usually, the first two or three answers will be an excuse. So I just keep repeating the question. And, and, and if they don't come forth right away, then I start asking them questions. I say things like this. When you were dating, which is now your mate, your spouse, did you guys have sexual relationships before you got married? And usually about this time, they hang their head. They say, uh-huh. Okay? So what, what does that have to do with anything? We got married. I said, yes, I realize that. But do you realize that that person may be thinking about you if he was willing to have sex with me before we got married, I wonder if he's really committed to me or not. Or the same is said of her. If she were willing to have sex with me before we got married, I wonder if she's committed to me exclusively. You see how the doubts get planted? And that's a minor illustration. I could give you a lot more detail than that. So what am I saying? Yes, being united on spirit, soul, and body exclusively for as long as you both shall live. I was doing a premarital counseling, I don't know, it must have been 15, 20 years ago. It was a young couple. They were in their early 20s. 
So I was going over the vows with them. And I was telling them, I, I usually tell people, if you want to write your own vows, you can. But I get the right to edit them. Okay? If you can write them and they're acceptable, they're somewhat biblical, then okay. But if they're not, I will edit them. So they were a little bit liberal in their thinking, and they, they, they broke their vows, and they brought them in. So at our next appointment, I looked them over, and I said, well, no, I can't use these. And the girl said, why not? She said, I don't like some of the ways that vows are used now in marriage. I said, okay, what do you not like? She says, I don't like until death do us part. Because I just believe if it's not working out after about six months, we'll just divorce and go get somebody else. I told her, I said, we got a lot more counseling to do. Because that's totally unbiblical. All right? And if you're going into it with that mentality, please don't get married. You're not ready for it yet. And so we had a few more sessions. And both she and he were of the opinion that, that marriage only lasts as long as you want it to last. And if something happens and you have a major disagreement, then you just throw that relationship away and go get another one. That's the hookup society mentality. And it's contrary to Scripture. It, they never improved their viewpoint. They never were willing to accept counsel. And we are about three weeks away from the wedding. And I walked away. I said, I'm sorry, I cannot marry you. I've been telling you all along, you've got to make your, your, your mentality, your vows, and your intentions line up with Scripture. See, they both claim to be Christian. They both claim to be Christian. And they were far apart from biblical principles. And so I said, I'm sorry, there's somebody down the street that will marry you. You can go to the justice of the peace, but I will not have a part of this. And I didn't. Now that didn't make the mother-in-law happy. In fact, the kids, they took it better than the mother-in-law did. I thought she was going to come and tire and feather me. Don't you realize it's too late to be changing their, your mind? I said, no, I didn't change my mind. I've been saying the same thing week after week after week after week for months. I haven't changed. They refused to line up as they should. Yada, yada, yada. The first biblical account that mentions sex is in Genesis with Adam and Eve. And I quoted you the verse a while ago. Man leaves his father and mother united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The reference to physical unity was intended to express a joyous unity on all levels as well, mind, emotion, and spirit. The Bible uses the word know to express sexual relations. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. The Hebrew word is yada, Y-A-D-A. Have you heard that? That word used, yada, 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 yada. Didn't work, just a bunch of talk. Well, in a biblical sense, it wasn't just talk. 
It carries the connotation of a deep personal way of knowing. Scripture teaches that the relationship of husband and wife even has the supreme dignity of reflecting the relationship between God and His people. Through the prophet Hosea, God says to the people of Israel, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love, in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know, yada, the Lord. Here's another beautiful statement straight out of the book. Covenant marriage is intended to be a visual image of the human divine relationship. Now you may need to think about that some. Covenant marriage is intended to be a visual image of the human divine relationship. In that same passage, same context of that 1 Corinthians 6 that I quoted earlier, The Bible indicates that those that are joined to the Lord are one spirit. Those that are joined to the Lord are one spirit. In other words, His spirit, your spirit, one spirit. The covenant relationship in marriage is intended to be a visual image of the human divine relationship. In the New Testament, the same imagery of marriage is applied to Christ and the church. Paul said, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. When people witness the loving, faithful relationship between husband and wife, they're meant to see a picture of how much God loves his people. In other words, he can take two people. Different. Created different. Bring them together. Unite them together in spirit, soul, and body. And they can have a happy marriage and a happy, happy relationship. Portraying what God can do in a person's life when they come and submit themselves to Him as the Lord and Master and Savior. Totally. Have you guys seen that? It, you can go to YouTube and just Google it and you'll find it. About that little skit, this guy, Mark Gungar, is that his name? Gungar? Yeah, has has. Um, we, we showed it here, I don't know, several years ago. Difference between men's brains and women's brains. You guys remember that? Some of you haven't. Let me explain it to you. He does this little illustration. Over here, he's got a, a woman's brain. Over here on a little pedestal, there's a man's brain. And he starts de- describing how women's brains work. That everything is attached to everything. Everything is attached to everything. It's like a scramble of wires just running all over the place. And then over here for the man's brain, everything has its own little box. Nothing touches nothing. Nothing of this box touches that box. None of the box touch. In fact, men, he said, even have a little nothing box. And in the nothing box, there's nothing. And so the wife says, oh dear, what are you thinking about? And he says, nothing. And it drives her crazy. Because in her way of thinking, everything touches everything. Now I think that 
that probably is pretty good. It's, it's almost accurate, I believe, about how men and women think differently. But you know what God can do? He can take the woman whose brain is attached to everything and the guys whose brain touches nothing but just that one area, unite them together, and the two become one. Only God can do that. You should have laughed then. Only God can do that and enable them to live harmoniously. I have complained to my wife on numerous occasions when we would be in a group where there's a whole lot of women and a whole lot of men and just sometimes I just observe. And I've observed that if you've got six women or five or four or three or two, it's amazing how they can have 24 conversations going and follow each other and talk over each other at the same time. Men don't do that. They don't. They don't talk that way. You know why? Because we can't keep up. We've got to pull one drawer out and put it back in, pull another drawer out and put it back in, pull another topic out and put it back in. And women, it is... And they're all talking and they got about 24 conversations going. And, and when they get through, they know what they're talking about. And I'm sitting there listening and I think, they were talking about this and about four conversations down the road. I'm just now trying to figure out what they meant over here. And men, you ought to be amen at me somehow or other. My point is this. God created them Men differently from women. Thank God he did. Thank God he did. But he can take the two under his lordship and make one entity out of it. So, my last point is sex was God's idea. It's not corrupt, it's not dirty. It was created by God before sin entered the world, before the fall. And that's revolutionary in a lot of people's thought processes. Corrupt. It's dirty. I don't want to be a part of that. Apparently God didn't think that. He created it before the fall, not after. Sue Gitman, let me borrow a book from her, and the name of the book is Hooked by Two Medical Doctors. And I want to read a paragraph out of that book that goes along with what we're talking about tonight. The data indicates that sexuality and sexual behavior are a vital part of what makes us human. It is scientifically and behaviorally inaccurate to try to understand sexual behavior as though it has no impact on the rest of what we see as human beings, such as our emotions, our health, our habits, and our nature. Abstinence culminating in a lifelong committed relationship has long been perceived as a religious 
position rather than a suggested course of action based on scientific reality. But now with the aid of modern neuroscience and a wealth of research, it is evident that humans are the healthiest and happiest when they engage in sex only with the one who is their mate for a lifetime. In fact, I would encourage you to get that book and read it. And if you have young people, have them to read it. Written by two medical doctors who it's not presented as a Christian book, but much of what they say is based on biblical principles. Sex is a big deal, folks. But let's be biblical in it. Let's be biblical. Let's develop a biblical worldview. One that is based on statements of Scripture. And if there are any soul ties that have been established on unbiblical beliefs and activity, they can be broken. They can be broken. And that relationship can be forgiven and the person can be restored as if it never existed. And if you want to have a long, successful, happy marriage, it's necessary to have a biblical worldview on that topic.